Good evening. This is Omar Serrato with the Tilted Lawyer Podcast, and we have a lot to talk about on today's episode. We're going to talk about, number one, Sarah Boone. I don't know if you remember her. She is the lady that is accused of committing an act of murder against her then-fiancé by playing a game of hide-and-seek, stuffing him into a suitcase, refusing to let him out, and, well, she was in the news as she had her attorney, her seventh attorney, or her sixth, withdraw from the case. We're going to get into why that happened, and then uh, we're going to talk a little bit about Ruby Frankie. She is the YouTube influencer who has recently made headlines for being charged with multiple counts of child abuse. And if you recall, or if you know anything about who she was, she had millions of followers on her YouTube channel. She based her YouTube content on how to raise children, on her family. And, you know, then, you know, a lot of people had a lot of concerns. And, well, now here we are. She's facing multiple charges. But let's get, you know what, let's just do it. Whatever you might be going through and wherever you might be, this is Omar Serrato with the Tilted Lawyer Podcast. I'm here to take your mind off of things. Yes, I'm an attorney. No, I'm not giving you legal advice. I'm going to sit and talk like people as these are the candid thoughts of one practicing attorney and it's after hours. So have a seat. Feel free to have a drink and join me. Let's get started. All right, so how many of you all remember Sarah Boone? I did a very short video on it way back last year. And if you recall, uh, she was from Winter Park, Florida. She's currently on trial, or not on trial. She's going to be in trial, but uh, she's been charged and has a pending case in Orange County, Florida. Uh, facing charges related to the death of her boyfriend, who was allegedly left to die in a suitcase. There is video all over the internet uh, documenting that man screaming for his life, uh, begging Sarah to let her out of uh, the suitcase, and while she just didn't feel like it, and she had a few choice words. And matter of fact, you know what, let's pull up that video. This is the infamous video in question. I can't fucking breathe, babe. Sarah, is he? Yeah, that's when you do when you choke me. Sarah. 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 <laughs> Sarah, I can't breathe, babe. That's on you. Sarah, I can't breathe. It's on you. Sarah. Real ransom. Now you want to give video for it extra. Completely plastered. Because <laughs> I got this. Sarah. Real ransom. Sarah. Sarah. I can't breathe, babe. Oh. That's what Sarah. I feel like when you chewing on me. Sarah. I Fuck you. Breathe, Sarah. Yeah. You should probably shut the fuck up. Yes. That was um, her boyfriend there in the suitcase. And uh, according to her story, they were playing a game of hide and seek. And uh, I guess he hid in the suitcase, or he locked himself in. He got in there somehow, and he was begging for her to, to let him out. And she refused because, well, she had her reasons. And she was very obviously in that video intoxicated. And it was the most hilarious interrogation ever when she's being interrogated by the cops. And she doesn't remember taking that video that I just showed you. She doesn't remember recording that on her iPhone. 
And so when the police are interrogating her, she's given one version of events and, you know, she's saying she's all innocent and all of these things. And then they confront her with um, the knowledge that, hey, did you know that you took a video on your iPhone of him begging for his life? To your recollection, no videos on Sunday. Not that I'm aware of. Okay. I mean, I like, I guess <coughs> I, I maybe took a picture of them, the two of Tess and the dogs and George and have them dancing, but I mean, or the, it's just Tess. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so I have something that I want to show you that we found, um, and it was from your phone. Mm-hmm. Can you see it? If you need to move it around, go ahead. <laughs> no, I don't remember that. For everything you've done to me. For everything you've done to me. Do I have to watch this? I continuously throw up. I don't sleep. I don't want to see it, if that's okay. Well, it's on your phone, and you can either explain it or we take it for what it is. Yeah. And we don't need to rehash all of the details from that case, but she has had an interesting go of it while she's been incarcerated, being represented by the public defender. Now, she has had six different attorneys represent her. Now, mind you, she has a right, a constitutional right, to be represented by counsel. And so, if you recall, like in the case of Daryl Brooks, it can't just... I mean, he chose to represent himself. And in the course of representing himself, the courts were very careful to admonish him of the rights that he was forfeiting, his right to counsel, his right to have an attorney present, his right to have a pro, a tri, an, an attorney through all stages of the proceeds. He jumped through hoops to get rid of his attorneys because, well, he was an insufferable character, and I can't imagine that he necessarily agreed with anything that his attorneys are trying to tell him. Now, Sarah Boone, and we're not going to get into every single letter that she's written, but she's written dozens of letters to the judge complaining that she hasn't had access to counsel, complaining that nobody is hearing her out, nobody is visiting her, nobody's asking her any questions, She's not being heard. And the judge has tried, you know, in some cases to ignore the letters, not ignoring them. He says that he read all of them, but um, he, th- they're doing their best to appease her. And if I sympathize with the attorneys, if you are an attorney and you've ever had to represent somebody that was just oh, of the Sarah Boone ilk, where they have every answer that we should know as attorneys, she has it already figured out. She knows exactly what she wants to say. She knows the exact strategy. And she went and did some research in the law library and found out that all we have to do is say this, this, and that. And then her case will be dismissed and then she'll be free. I mean, she probably legitimately has those thoughts. And she's trying to convince her attorneys to put forward probably what would amount to frivolous motions. And I'm just speculating. But a lot of a lot of the letters and the complaints that she has lodged with the court, with the judge himself, have all been centered around she's having difficulty communicating with attorneys. And attorney number six got really fed up with it all, and he just said, you know what, screw it. So he files a motion to withdraw. So when you're appointed as an attorney to represent somebody either voluntarily because they've signed a retainer with your law firm and you've agreed to... Uh, represent them in whatever specific matter for specific contractual terms, uh, retainer agreement or whatever. That's one way to do it. The other way is you're appointed by a court to represent somebody, probably because you're a government attorney um, or you're helping out the uh, public defenders or something of that ilk. When Once you are on the case, you are on the case until the case resolves. That means it goes all the way to trial, to verdict, until there's nothing left to litigate. Unless you file a motion to relieve yourself of the duty of representing this person. Now, it's hard to argue these motions in court. I have filed these motions for various reasons. Um, As you'd imagine, I've probably represented close to um, 
I don't know if it's multiple thousands, but probably definitely a thousand, over a thousand people in my career. And um, a handful of them, there's just, there's people that you don't get along with. There's people that can't pay their legal bills. There's people that just want a different attorney. There's people that don't agree with uh, your strategy for the case or they want a second opinion. And um, I have never been one to get in the way of somebody's request. If somebody doesn't want representation, uh, then what usually happens, and it's usually almost always because they just can't afford the attorney fees. And, you know, in those situations, we're just, all right, well, you don't have to pay and then we don't have to represent you. But, you know, here's what we would do going forward. This is what you have to look out. At least we set them up for how to proceed going forward. Um, sometimes you just don't get along with your clients because they just have different philosophies about their case than you do. And there's really nothing you can do about that. And it's going to happen. Um, it doesn't happen very often, but it certainly does happen. And when you do, you have to give the, the, the judge good cause for why you're, he should allow you off the case. And almost always it's something along the lines of there's been a breakdown in communication with his client such that representation is impossible going forward it's some something of that ilk you don't really have to get into the details why and a large part portion of that is because of attorney client privilege we're very limited in what we have to say now if they go out and say stuffing in in open court disparaging the attorneys we're allowed to bring in information to tell our side of the story but for all intents and purposes and the judges are really good about this um, they don't force us to break attorney-client privilege, we just simply say, hey, um, it's not working out, breakdown in communications, we don't get along, we have different theories of the case, and therefore we think it's best if everybody just kind of moves on. And the judge has to approve that motion. Now, what we're about to watch is a, an example of it, but I also want to talk about why this guy is, is uh, I, have been rep- I have represented people like Sarah Boone on multiple occasions. Um I've represented people worse than Sarah Boone in terms of uh, attitude towards attorney. And, you know, um, let's just watch some of this video. You'll get a feel for what I'm talking about. But long story short, the guy is petitioning the court to withdraw from the case. Let's take a look at the video. So we have multiple matters scheduled uh, this morning, one of which is Mr. Bankwitz's motion to withdraw my reading of the law is I feel like I have to address that motion first and rule on that before I can address any other motions that would be uh, heard today. So, Mr. Banquets, I'll start with you. Tell me why you're moving to withdraw. Judge, the, le- the letters that have been coming to your honor, uh, the derogatory berating of my services in this case, uh, I can't effectively represent her. Uh, I she doesn't trust me. She calls me a, a dud, I think, a buffoon, uh, on and on and on and on. And no one should have to endure that type of uh, derogatory comments and expect to effectively represent someone, especially in a murder case. Ms. Boone, I read your letter dated August 26, 2023, and your letter. And just to comment on that, uh, it, it ha- you know what? It happens more often in these criminal cases. And, you know, um, I sympathize with the defendants that are standing trial, that are incarcerated, because they have all day to think about their case. This literally, they have nothing else to do. They're, they're sitting there in a, in a jail cell. They have access to a law library. I mean, what else are you going to do except research defenses for your case? And and so they come up with all of these ideas, and they have no idea how the law that they read fits in to their particular case, or even if it's jurisdictionally relevant, because it, it might be, for example, federal law that they're reading, and, and they're, they happen to have a state case. So therefore, whatever the reading doesn't even apply but they don't know that. And so they're, they're sitting around all day long and they have all these ideas and they're all excited to talk to their attorneys. And then the attorney gets there and we sit there and we, we talk with them for, you know, 20, 30 minutes, an hour, two hours. Sometimes I've sat and talked with clients for four hours because there's a lot to talk to um, while they're sitting there in a jail cell. And um, the attorney is shutting down their ideas because it doesn't work because of some law. And I could imagine she's getting frustrated and calling this guy a buffoon and, 
um, you know, whatever name you want to think of. And this guy's sitting there, you know what? I'm so sick and tired of this. I'm so sick and tired of it. And, you know, she, he's probably getting angry emails, angry letters uh, to his office all the time about her. And he's a public defender. Guy has probably 50, 60, 70, 80 cases um, on his docket at any one time, maybe more. I have no idea what the, what the caseload is over there um, in Orange County, Florida. But he's busy. And so it's not just Sarah Boone that is, has inquiries and has questions and wants to talk about his case. It is the 89 other people that also have a similar right to counsel. And he's trying his best. He really is. He's doing his best. I don't suspect that a guy like this that is representing Sarah Boone on a nationally recognized case that's on Law and Crime Network, that is on TV, court TV, and all these things, um, has that high of a caseload, that, meaning that of a an entry-level public defender, for example, that has you know 150 misdemeanors that he has to handle. He's probably handling the higher-profile cases, and so his caseload is much lower, but still. They're all prop. They're, they all deserve the same amount of attention, and he's just he's had it with this lady, and so I sympathize with her. I'm not. I I can't say that you know. I I really blame her for her outburst, but this is attorney number six, and now uh, she's she's been appointed attorney number seven after this motion. But let's continue here what the judge has to say about it. It's interesting, his perspective. Dated August 30th, 2023. And just so we're clear, I read all of the letters that you send to the court. Whether I respond or not is based on what's in the letter and whether I'm asked to actually do something that's within my purview as a judge or not. If I understand correctly, you have now decided that you think it would be best, in fact, if Mr. Bankwitz was allowed to withdraw. Is that correct? Yes. All right. And you understand by him withdrawing off to appoint another attorney. Do you understand that? I do. And that attorney's not standing here, so we're not going to be able to address, and I'll give the state a chance to talk to me as well, but assuming I grant this, we won't be able to address the other issues that were docketed for today, which means I'm going to have to reset your case for a later date. Do you understand that? I'm not sure what items it is you're speaking of. I haven't received a copy yet of the letter. So we also were having a hearing today in regards to authorization. I don't know if your next lawyer is going to think that that expert's the right person to use or whether they're going to go a different route after consulting with you. And even if they did, they're not standing here. And once Mr. Banquets is out, he's out. He can't argue the motion. So do you understand that? I fully understand. So basically what the judge is saying, there is a pending motion that has to deal with an expert witness that's going to testify on some of the more relevant points of her defense. And now this motion is being brought by her current attorney, who's now going to be her former attorney. And this motion was supposed to be ruled upon. And the judge is saying, I'd imagine now this new attorney is going to have to get up to speed. It's probably going to cause further delays in the trial. And it's not like she's sitting there out on bail. If she really believes in her innocence, this is probably going to prolong things. So that's why he's just being extra careful, making sure that you fully understand this, that this is going to be what happens. And on Mr. Cacciatore, normally the state takes no position in these issues, but there are limited circumstances when the state does take a position. So are you taking a position on this motion withdrawal, Mr. Cacciatore? No, this would be, one of those times where we would be not taking a position. All right. So uh, I'm going to grant Mr. Bankwitz's motion to withdraw. I'm going to appoint attorney Winston Hobson to represent Ms. Boone. Uh, in regards to the other matters scheduled today, I'm going to take no action on them at this time until Mr. Hobson can, well, in regards to the motion involving JAC. I'm simply going to take no action on that motion at this point in time until Mr. Hobson has a chance to review it and determine whether he wants to proceed with that motion. I will address the pretrial because today was also supposed to be pretrial. Here's what we'll do. Let me just get my calendar up. As far as pretrial conference... I'm going to set this case for pretrial conference on Tuesday, November 28th, and a trial period starting Monday, December 
11th, I think any earlier period of time would be unrealistic for Mr. Hobson to get on board, get up to speed with the discovery, and determine how he wants to proceed in regards to any experts. But I will set a status hearing on the case prior to that. I'll set a status hearing on the case Monday, October 30th, 2023 at 10 a.m., That'll be for the purpose of making sure that Mr. Hobson's on board, some sense of where he thinks are things are, uh, how realistic he thinks the November pretrial is, any other matters I need to address with him at that time. Now, Ms. Boone, in just a minute, they're going to take you back to the Orange County Jail. I'm going to suggest that you talk to Mr. Hobson about the various other issues you raised in your letter dated August 30th, 2023. One other thing I want to talk to you about, we had this conversation once in the past. Clearly, your working relationship with Mr. Banquets was such that it deteriorated to the point where the two of y'all just couldn't work together to defend your case. So I'm not going to try to referee um, how that played out, why that unfolded the way it did. But one thing I want to caution you about, if this becomes a problem on another court-appointed attorney, I'm going to look more closely at what the alleged disputes are. You have a right to a court-appointed lawyer. There are certain decisions a defendant gets to make in the defense of their case that are absolutely theirs, such as whether they go to trial or not such as whether they testify or not. But there are many decisions in a case that a lawyer gets to make. And while you certainly have a right to consult with your lawyer and discuss with your lawyer, they don't automatically just do whatever you say. They use their professional judgment and experience and look at the evidence, look at the law, and do the best they can. And that's 100% true because... Most of the time, if we were to do the things that our clients ask us to do, we'd be committing acts of malpractice. And that's why you hire attorneys, because we've, we kind of know what we're doing. We, we know the landscape, the laws of the land. We know what we can get away with. We know what we can't do. And so, but yeah, it's really frustrating for people that are being represented when attorneys tell them that. Some people are good with this. Like, hey, that's what I'm paying you for. I'll, I trust you. And others, it's just like, oh, well, I don't know. I watched on MacGyver. 20 years ago or whatever. But anyway. Also, you've got court-appointed counsels. I've explained to you before, court-appointed counsel rarely have the luxury of representing one person and only having one case to focus on. I have concerns that your expectations of what any court-appointed counsel might do as far as spending time with you and the depth and degree of communication may be unrealistic expectations. You always have the right to retain a lawyer to represent you, and then that's between you and that lawyer. You can demand whatever expectations that you have as part of that agreement. But when it's a court-appointed lawyer, you have to accept and understand that they have other cases, other courtrooms, other responsibilities, and I'm cognizant of that when I'm addressing these types of issues about communication. So... That's just food for thought, nothing to do today. I don't need a response from you. I just wanted to make sure you were aware of that and were thinking about that as we proceeded forward. So again, the court minutes reflect that I am court continuing pretrial. I have granted a motion to withdraw. I have appointed Mr. Hobson to represent the defendant, and I'm taking no action on the motion, the ex parte motion for a cost directed uh, where GAC is responding. Ms. Boone will be returned to the Orange County Jail pending disposition of her case. Thank you, Judge. All right. Am I able to say anything? That's his information. She had something to say for uh, the lawyer. For the, she had something to say after the judge made his decisions. I don't know what it would have been, but it just kind of gives you an idea of what her mindset is. Uh, so that's what's going on with Sarah Boone. And... Um, Gosh, man, whoever that new attorney is uh, that they wanted to appoint as uh, Sarah Boone's new counsel. You know, I got to tell you, sometimes when I take on some of these new cases, 
And uh, I, I have to make a decision on whether or not I'm going to represent these people. One of the big red flags when I have um, a prospective client is how many former attorneys have you had? For example, if it's a, if it's a case where you're coming from another law firm, there's somebody else representing you and you don't get along with the attorney and you just want somebody else like, okay, well, what was so wrong about them? And then I got to, you know, just make the inquiry. Like, was it their legal strategy? Maybe you didn't like, maybe you wanted a bulldog in the courtroom and you didn't like the way they were speaking in court. Um, sometimes, I mean, I can understand those, but oftentimes when people say stuff like, you know what, the guy just doesn't return my calls. And, you know, I call and, you know, I well, how often would you call? Did you set appointments, things like that? And, you know, you find out that they're calling every day, multiple times a day. If it's a disagreement about legal strategy, I'll sit down and I will do a consultation and I'll say, okay, before you tell me what your attorney would do, um, just tell me the facts and I will give you a full-on consultation. This way you'll have like a second opinion um, because I don't want to be colored by what they're saying. You know, that way they can know that, okay, well, there's multiple attorneys that are saying the same thing. Or sometimes it does happen that my strategy is... Um, better than what their attorney is doing. And then that, that case, you know, I might take on that case because it's, you know, it makes sense. But if it's just like, well, you know, sometimes uh, I just don't like the way that they're representing me or they're not hearing me, they're not listening to me, even though I've talked to them, you know, um, every day this week, it's just not enough. And there's some people that there's no pleasing. Now, if they've had more than two attorneys, okay, well, then I just, I don't, you know what, it's, it's probably going to go bad. Um, and so, uh, you know what, I could give you a lot of, uh, references, um, recommendations of other attorneys that might be better equipped to help you rather than I, um, so at any rate, that's what's going on with Sarah Boone. Ruby Frankie, this particular person ran a YouTube channel that was focused on family, on parenting trips, trips, tips. Um, it featured her children very prominently in how she was raising them, the parenting decisions that she would make, the way that she would discipline her children. I knew nothing about this lady uh, prior to um, her being brought up on these charges. Um, but she's been in the news. Um, and the reason why she's in the news is be specifically because the children the same children that had been featured in her YouTube shows, episodes, channels, whatever you call it, um, had to escape her house, run to the neighbor's house, and basically beg for food, beg for help, and let everybody know that her mom's crazy. And the boy was 12 years old, so it's not like he was a young child. He was old enough to understand um, what was going on. And you see him on some of these YouTube videos that people are looking at. Um, he's, he seems like a very articulate young man. Ruby Frankie, a, a well-known family vlogger. I hate that word, vlogger, uh, but here we are. Uh, the matriarch behind the Eight Passengers YouTube channel. She's been formally charged with six felony counts of child abuse. Uh, the case has captured widespread attention. Um, and has even led to Frank's own family members speaking out. Oh, they were really, really angry. And you know, there's been there there had been, I guess, uh, during the duration when she was up and running on YouTube. There was multiple calls. There was there was a whole movement to try to get CPS involved because they believed that what she was doing was child abuse. But she would make these videos and basically be unapologetic and un unapologetic and double down that her methods were working. And she wasn't going to apologize for wanting to raise um, well-rounded children and all this and that, right? Um, until her 12-year-old son had to literally escape and alert the authorities that she was there, that he was there, and what was going on. And now we have this case. So as far as the timeline of what is going on, so the initial reports about Ruby Frankie's arrest emerged around August of 2023. This is taken out of USA Today. Um, an article. Um, it reads, uh, this is dated August 31st of 2023. Former family vlogger Ruby Frankie of YouTube Channel 8 Passengers has been arrested in Springfield, Utah on aggravated child abuse charges. According to the Washington County Sheriff's website, Frankie was arrested yesterday 
That would have been August 30th at 9.33 p.m., along with business partner Jody Hildebrandt, who co-founded Parent Advice and Counseling YouTube channel and service for connections. I don't know what they're... It's spelled C-O-N-N-E-X-I-O-N-S. I don't know if that's a playful spelling of connections or what or whatnot, but that was their service. Both were charged, both of them were charged with two counts of second-degree aggravated child abuse, intentional or unknowing. Frankie garnered national attention in recent years when viewers of the now-deleted Eight Passengers YouTube channel she ran along with her husband, Kevin Frankie, began to speculate the couple were mistreating their six children. The family, who are members of the Church of the Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, of course they are, had nearly two and a half million subscribers. And that's not a knock on anybody in that religion. It just seems like whenever we get these cases out of Utah, there's always some, it just seems that there's always some tie-in to uh, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And I'm not, that's not a disparaging thing about, the, uh, about that particular church. Um, I know a lot of people from that church, and they're very um, solid, uh, salt of the earth kind of people. But it's just a shame. Every time we get one of these crimes, they they happen to have some affiliation um, with the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints. Um, but she had nearly two and a half million subscribers at the channel's peak before it was removed from the platform. The Frankie's eldest daughter, Shari has been somewhat vocal on social media about contact with her family in 2022, a fact that led to further rumors and theories to crop up online. After the arrest on Wednesday, she shared a photo to her Instagram story of a police car outside of a home with the caption, Finally. That is crazy. This was the part. Frank and her business partner, Jody Hildebrandt, were arrested last week after Frankie's 12-year-old son climbed out a window and ran to a neighbor's house asking for food and water. The neighbor, noticing duct tape around the child's ankles and wrists, called the police. The responding officer said the child appeared severely malnourished and had sustained deep lacerations from being tied up with a rope. When police searched Hildebrand's home, they found Frankie's 10-year-old daughter in similar condition and transported both children to the hospital for malnourishment. In total... The four Frankie children still living at home were taken into the care of Utah's Child and Family Services. Her other two children are adults. Hildebrandt was also charged with six felony counts of aggravated child abuse. The local lawyer representing Frankie did not immediately respond to NPR's request for comment. Court documents do not list legal representation for Hildebrandt. Both Hildebrandt and Frankie were still in custody as of Wednesday, Records for the Washington County Sheriff's Office show the pair are scheduled to appear in court before the same judge on Friday. I believe that hearing's already occurred. I believe that was the bail hearing, which was denied. Uh, Frankie rose to national fame with the launch of her YouTube channel in 2015. At its peak, eight passengers attracted nearly 2.3 million subscribers who followed along as Frankie documented her life as a mother of six children and wife to her husband, Kevin. The channel was taken down earlier this year amid a growing chorus of criticism over Frankie's strict parenting tactics, which included threatening to take away meals. In recent weeks, Frankie had been collaborating with Hildebrandt on Connections, a mental health counseling service that also faced criticism for its parenting advice, including shame-based learning and shunning those who don't share your values. Shunning as in, I guess... Like you would when you're seven, when you're giving your your brother or sister the silent treatment. Imagine shunning your child. I didn't even know that that was an option. Oh, I'll tell you what. My children are four and three. I wonder what would happen if I were to shun them because uh, they failed to uh, eat all their broccoli or something. <laughs> what a strategy. Shunning. That's that's some of the parenting tactics. I don't. I'll never understand sometimes how people truly live in their own universe. And if you don't have a mechanism for people checking your ideologies and philosophies. I'd imagine that you might start a business 
called Connections and expand that into a mental health counseling service where you implore your followers about the benefits of shame-based learning and shunning those who don't share your values. Never mind all of the hundreds of years of research that has gone into um, trying to dissuade parents from using such tactics, citing the behavioral deficiencies that result of that form of parenting, uh, the extreme anxiety that, re, that, that, that inevitably props up, the lack of confidence. You know what? I just hope those children are, are, are okay. Who knows what they've been going through, but you got the daughter. I mean, she's literally posting pictures on Instagram um, talking about finally, finally, as in she's been crying for help all of this time. Yet her mom had a, a, a YouTube channel with uh, almost 3 million subscribers of people that were following and consuming her content. And so imagine you're, you're one of those children and you are being starved or you're being shunned or you're being shamed uh, for whatever reason. Maybe things they can control, maybe they, things that they can't control. And begging for anybody to hear your plight only to be have mom reinforced by her 3 million subscribers that what she's doing is okay. Yeah, sure. There was a whole movement um, opposing her parenting style and trying to get her take off of taking off of YouTube and trying to get law enforcement to intervene, but it didn't happen. And if this was happening in plain sight, 3 million subscribers were validating what this lady was doing. And when you are this lady, Ruby Frankie, I mean, how could you possibly know uh, that what you are doing is wrong. If you're being validated by the money you're generating on YouTube and the millions of people that consume your content, it's bizarre. This whole thing is bizarre. Let's talk a little bit about who Ruby Frankie is. So Utah mother of six, apparently there is a show called eight passengers that she was one of the stars of. Uh, the YouTube channel that once raked in millions of views and followers, she became the subject of widespread criticism online for her parenting choices. The pushback intensified when Frankie co-founded parenting advice and support program Connections, which has been called a cult by some online. Many found the parenting style promoted by the pair to be extreme and harsh. The frequent inclusion of what has been called homophobic, racist, and transphobic comments did not help their popularity. In one referenced example, Frankie told viewers that children do not deserve and should not receive unconditional love. You know, I'm sure she had a point to make in all of that. Maybe she was uh, well-intentioned when she said stuff like that. But let's take a look at some of the stuff that is floating out there on YouTube, stuff that she was advising parents um, on how to raise their children with. I've been sleeping on a beanbag since October, and they gave my room back like two weeks ago. During the video, Frankie had her son explain why the privilege of a bedroom was taken away. Uh, I'll give you the reason why I lost my bedroom. I think so. I think this is the reason. At least this is the reason that's been in my head. It's pretty funny, but now that I look back, I mean, it's pretty depressing. No, we never told our viewers. That I woke Russell up at 2 in the morning and told him that we're going to Disneyland and he <laughs> has to pack. And he got up and made his bed all neatly and then packed all his clothes in a suitcase. And then he walked out the door and I'm like, Russell, and he's like, what? And he's all happy. Has his sunglasses on. Chad goes on to explain he told his brother it was a joke before pulling another prank on him. I was like, we're not going to Disneyland. <laughs> he started crying and hitting me. And then you know what? That's that's probably one of the, the cruelest things you could do to a child. I would I couldn't even imagine doing that to my kids, but I'll tell you what. The one time it happened, I I used to have a my oldest daughter, Raven. I had um we were we had Disneyland passes. And we were all set to go to Disneyland. I had her all dressed and ready to go. And she's all excited. And we make the drive over there. And it's all good times. And Disney music in the car on the way over there. And, and we get there. And it's like, um, well, it's a blackout day. And so 
I'm, I'm sitting there thinking like, oh, oh, and and if you could imagine, we pulled up into the parking lot. We pulled into the parking lot, and they told us that you know it was it was you know we couldn't go in. We'd have to buy like a full ticket or whatever. And I could have bought a full ticket, but I think at the time, uh, for a ticket for me and her to go to Disneyland would have been like over four hundred dollars. And back then, you know, I was I was not a you know, I, I was not a um, successful attorney at that time. Not not quite yet. Um, I think I was in still, law, still in law school, so I just, I simply couldn't afford it. And so I had to improvise on the fly and figure out something to say. And, you know, she was. There was tears on her eyes. Uh, but we ended up going to um, Laser Tag that day at some near my place in Anaheim, California. Um, but it was, oh, um, every time, every time I roll up to Disneyland with my children, I, I always remember that. I'm traumatized myself. Uh, by that that happened i can't i couldn't even imagine her i wonder if she even remembers it i remember it i wonder if she remembers it and we've turned it into you know a really fun day of laser tag and food and pizza and all that kind of stuff but just oh the look on her face is is something there's some things in, in life that never leave you that for me is one of them and you went back to bed in tears, and then. So that that was that was not the reason you lost your room, but that was. Well, the other reason is because I pointed a BB gun at his face. Pointed a BB gun at his face and hung him on the basketball. <laughs> Frankie then stepped in, explaining why she felt her decision to take away her son's bedroom was justified. Chad showed that he was not able to manage himself sharing a bedroom with Russell. So when we moved, um, the bigger room in the basement was automatically his, and I didn't have a room, but we, like, put one on hold for me. So a lot of you are like, hey, that's not fair because Chad got the bigger, the lesser bedroom, and Russell got the, the bigger bedroom. bedroom. <laughs> Russell got the big bedroom, and Chad got the, the smaller bedroom, smaller. and Russell's bigger bedroom also had a bathroom. But what you guys didn't know was <laughs> Chad didn't get any room. He mm -hmm. didn't he didn't get anything. He was sleeping on the floor in the family room. And he just got the bedroom back. And it's because he's shown up consistently without bullying the kids. Throughout this same video, Frankie boasts that many of her children have been without their cell phones for months. Chad hasn't had a flip phone, a smartphone, any kind of phone, and it's been over a year. Mm -hmm. And um I still have no intention of returning a phone. Abby, we took the phone away from Abby um, November. in November. Oh, and and you, may, you may never get the phone back. Probably not. Frankie then tells viewers this choice affects her just as much as it affects her children. When you make these choices with your family to take things away, as a parent, you really do want them to have these things. And it's been so, so, so difficult to take a phone away, to take a bedroom away, to take iPads away, to take access away. Like, it hurts me just as much as it hurts my kids. Just if, if, if that was the extent of it, I mean, I wouldn't think that those children were being abused. I mean, I think that, you know, I don't agree with everything. I don't know about the sleeping on a bing bag thing. Um, I don't, you know, I don't know what's going on with that. But, you know, I'm more disturbed about the length of pranks that are being perpetrated on the younger siblings by the, you know, by the older brother. I mean, <clears throat> as a dad, you got to teach the older siblings, you know, you're looking after them, you're protecting them, you're doing, you're not trying to tear them down in these really weird, psychologically destructive ways. You're supposed to be protector. You know, he's carrying on about how he's hanging his little brother from, like, was a basketball hoop or something? And, you know, making believe like they're going to go to Disneyland and, oh, just kidding, you know, you're an idiot. Why would you think that? That's incredibly uh, disturbing to, to listen to, um, and it actually kind of makes me angry, you know, hearing that kind of stuff. Um, but on the mother's end, um, if I'm viewing her under the lens of a single mother, I mean, I don't, that clip alone just by itself, you don't know that there's children literally starving and being without food or water, or emaciated, or being, you know, kept in their rooms with duct tape or anything like that. It seems relatively normal, but obviously it's a video that she produced. It gets more sinister, and now they're going to talk about, 
you know, some of the psychological damage that has occurred to the children as a result of some of her decisions. You can play with friends. No, like, I don't have friends. I don't have friends either. I literally, like, told my friend I'm not hanging out with them anymore. Because they're... They say some pretty messed up stuff. I've noticed that you've been hiding from me. And you are feeling a lot of embarrassment and shame. I don't know. You tell me what you're feeling. Mad. Because I really won't get anything for summer. I won't be able to go anywhere. No, I don't have any friends. The video ends as Frankie kisses her son, who's visibly upset. And I love you with all my heart. In a separate video, Frankie explains her then six-year-old daughter, Eve, forgot to bring her lunch to school. I just got a text message uh, from Eve's teacher, and she said that Eve did not pack a lunch today, and can I bring a lunch over to the school? This happens quite often when you're having raising children. She then tells viewers her daughter's teacher was uncomfortable that Eve may have no lunch that day. I know that her teacher is uncomfortable with her being hungry and not having a lunch. I think most adults are uncomfortable with children being hungry when there's food readily available. And it would ease her discomfort if I came to the school with lunch. Um, but I... I re but what is that? It would ease my discomfort if you would give her... I, you know, um, I just imagine that more harsh language is in order if you have a parent that is actively starving their children. And what her, she's about to say right now is honestly really just infuriating. Um, it, it makes my blood boil, just her cavalier attitude towards uh, the whole situation. Responded and just said, Eve is responsible for making her lunches in the morning and she actually told me she did pack a lunch. Instead of bringing Eve's lunch to school, Frankie says she hopes her daughter goes hungry. So the natural outcome is she's just going to need to be hungry. And hopefully, hopefully nobody gives her food and nobody steps in and gives her a lunch. On other occasions. That is just delusional. So her, her, her punishment for this child Failing to pack a lunch is you're just going to starve for the rest of the day. And, hey, you don't got any food from home, then uh, lots of luck to you. But not only that, she doesn't even want her to go out into the world and find, if she could find food or somebody willing to give her food, you know, she can eat, you know, the embarrassment of that. Maybe that would be enough. No, she wants the teachers to join in on her parenting decision, which amounts to child abuse, um, to further starve this little girl who is developing, growing brain, needs nutrients, needs sustenance to learn, is, you know, starving to death. Uh, look, man, if I see a hungry child, he's getting fed. There's, there's, I'm not going to have a discussion about it if, if I have the ability to feed a child. I mean, they're in my care. They're getting fed. I'm not going to play um, this discomfort game. That, that almost angers me as much as her jumping on this uh, video to, to gloat about her parenting success with this method of parenting. Um, it makes her uncomfortable that she doesn't have food, and that was the extent of it. I mean, and clearly the cops weren't called off of that event. It took a 12-year-old boy to escape the clutches of this lady's home uh, to alert a neighbor that something amiss was going on at the house, and maybe somebody should call the cops. And so that level of lack of backbone by whoever that teacher is, I'm just, it greatly disappoints me. Frankie posted videos about withholding food as well. And my kids are literally starving. I hesitate to say this because it's going to sound like I'm like a mean barbarian, but I told the kids, I said, I'm not even going to let you eat breakfast until you get your chores done. After these videos were posted, a change.org petition was created by viewers hoping to send child protective services to the Frankie family home. Nearly 18,000 people signed the petition, but the case was closed, citing insufficient evidence. After that, both Frankie and her husband, Kevin, spoke to Insider about this incident. Frankie told reporters, quote, 
It was just so malicious. They knew what they were doing was out of context. They were purely seeking to throw hate. That was their only objective. She addressed similar criticism in one of her videos. Online who hate me, who would like to cancel me, who would like to see me um, either burn in hell, as I have told, or um, disappear off the face of the earth. And I'm not going anywhere. That, that, is, the, that, that is the hill that she's choosing to die on, uh, this parenting stance. Um, you know, that husband, that husband of hers, really should also be brought up on charges. I mean, I don't know the dynamics of their household. I don't, I've never watched that show. Um, I assume that they're still married. Why wouldn't he also be brought up on charges if you got literally a starving ch child, children in the home, emaciated? Emaciated is uh, a clear telltale sign uh, that the children are not being properly cared for. That's basic parental neglect. But the way that is in California is that if you know or have reason to know that a child is being abused and you fail to protect that child, then you are just as culpable as the person that is committing the act of abuse. I wonder if that statute is the same in Utah. I wonder if he's also going to be brought in charges or under charges. I wonder if they're going to also bring him up on charges the more uh, that comes out regarding this case and it, they just filed and so that we got a way a ways to go taken from an article uh, this is a again npr um, and just reading from this article when police searched hildebrandt's home they found frankie's 10 year old daughter in a similar condition that emaciated condition transported both children to the hospital for malnourishment in total four frankie children were still living at the home they were all taken in the care of child and family services the other two children were adults ruby frankie what is the current status of her legal case? Uh, well, I mean, she's just been formally charged. Um, she's currently sitting in a jail cell. I think one of the bigger questions is whether or not she's going to be allowed out on bail. Um, and it's very possible that she will be let out on bail. And really, the, the standard um, for any bail proceeding is whether or not the uh, judge uh, is con sufficiently convinced that she's a flight risk. Um, if she's facing life in prison, she's not getting out. She's going to she's gonna be, um, more than likely, uh, she's going to be held in county jail. But then again, if she makes certain promises, the court says, I got, I have a sufficient ties to the county. I'm not going anywhere. I'm not fleeing. I don't have the means to travel or escape to uh, Costa Rica somewhere or whatever. And she makes that successful pitch. The judge may um, allow for a bail uh, amount to be issued, which would allow her to be out while this is being prosecuted. One of the factors that they look at is whether or not she poses a risk to the community. And again, although this is a violent crime in the sense that children have been harmed, it's not a violent crime as in she was arrested, you know, with a semi-automatic weapon threatening innocent people. There was a public safety assessment that recommended that Frankie... Uh, be released from jail with conditions. So the purpose of a public safety assessment, they're supposed to give a, a recommendation to the judge at least what risk of danger does this person pose to the general public. And they have a list of variables that they consider when making their assessment. And this one here belongs to Ruby. If you're looking there on the screen, you can see um, it has her information, it has her birth date on there. Um, the charges, aggravated child abuse intentionally or knowingly, uh, has only a couple of counts on there. It has a scale, failure to appear scale. They judge it at a rate of two. She probably has sufficient ties to the community. They don't think that she's going to flee anywhere. What is her the chance, the likelihood that she's going to commit new crimes while out on bail? Well, they have it on a one to six scale. They gave her a two. And these are the risk factors. Look at her, her age. She's 41 years old. Um, is it a current violent offense? They say yes. Um, is this person com who committed this violent offense 20 years or younger? Obviously, they'd say no. Does she have, did she have pending charges at the time of the offense? No. Does she have prior misdemeanor convictions? Yes. And that could be anything from driving on a suspended license uh, to a DUI to, uh, to an assault or battery as a misdemeanor. It could be a disturbing the peace, you know, so the fact that a it's a misdemeanor isn't together um, all that significant does she doesn't have any prior felony convictions 
She does have a prior conviction. Again, I, I guess that's of the misdemeanor. No prior violent offenses. Uh, no failures to appear in the last two years. No failures to appear that are older than two years. Um, she's never been sentenced to incarceration. And so the recommendations were that she signs up for pretrial monitoring no later than 24 hours after release, check in one time a month, hearing date reminders. I'm assuming that that pretrial monitoring is basically the ankle bracelet that they make you wear so they could track her whereabouts. Um, there's this other chart here that we're looking at, and it circles her as an FTA2. I'm guessing that's how they got these scores. I'm assuming that based on her risk factors, they circled her here, um, and they have a list of how um, stringent the conditions can be if they decide that they're going to release her. Um, and it could be anywhere as no restrictions, ROR, uh, they explain that release, that means you're released on your own recognizance. That means just, you know, you get to go home, live your life as normal, um, come back on your court date and whatnot. No conditions. Release with conditions, well, that's PRL 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5. Um, they have her at the PRL 1 and 2 level, um, and that basically means by default, you report to your, your contact information, any changes in address, uh, you promise to appear at all required court proceedings, uh, promise to not commit any further crimes, uh, you got to sign a jail release agreement. You're released on your own recognizance, but they put, in, in her case, they recommended an ankle bracelet. Um, there's hearing date reminders, and there it is. Sign up for pretrial monitoring no later than 24 hours after release. That's basically what they've recommended for her. And then they get more stringent as, uh, I guess, the risk becomes greater. So they don't think much of her risk to reoffend. Um, so they're not really treating her as harshly as perhaps the general public would wish. So as you might expect, uh, Ruby Frank's, Ruby Frankie's family had stuff to say. On September 13th, Ruby's sisters Julie and Bonnie released separate YouTube videos alleging that they were not aware of Frankie's actions as their sister had cut ties to her extended family. The sisters also criticized Frankie's business partner, Jody Hildebrandt, a clinical mental health counselor who was arrested with Frankie for having what they said was a negative influence on their family. Frankie's sisters expressed anger in their videos, saying, What my family and I have gone through the last couple of weeks is the worst thing that has ever happened to us. I am not my sister. I am not my sister's crimes. The more I learn, my feelings are turning more to anger. I am mad at what has happened. I am beyond disgusted. We did not know what they were doing because, like we said, we were cut off. We did not have access to anyone. Pauline referred to Ruby and her husband, Kevin Frankie, and Hildebrandt's now deleted YouTube channel Connections, on which she and Ruby Frankie would, dis would appear to give parenting advice as bullcrap, to say the least, and a complete indoctrination of this thing that they created. I don't agree with how extreme they were on everything. I knew they were weird. I knew that they were off. Those are the things that we kept quiet about because what was I going to say? I was not going to come out and publicly say that I don't like my sister and I don't like what she's doing and I think she's weird. This is what we kept quiet about. It wasn't until about a year ago, said Halleen, when the extended family reconnected with Frankie's eldest daughter and learned more about how their nieces and nephews lived. Halleen addressed people who accused her family of not doing more to help Frankie's children, claiming they had no legal recourse. Um, for those who are saying that we go in and bust down doors and do whatever it took to end up in jail, because from jail I can't do anything. Pauline said Ruby's husband, Kevin Frankie, was the appropriate person to intervene, and I agree with that. Um, we had zero contact with him. It was Kevin's job to check on, in on things, and he did not. And I'm wondering, as this goes on, if uh, he's actually going to be brought up on charges. Um, they reached out to Kevin's attorney for comment. They weren't um, they didn't immediately hear back. Ruby Frankie, other Ruby Frankie's other sister, Julie Griffiths DeRue, also posted a YouTube video titled "My Side of the Story" concerning my sister Ruby Frankie. I am speaking today about my sister Ruby. And let's hear let's hear a little bit about what she has to say on it. This is Ruby's sister, Ruby Frankie, who was arrested a few weeks ago for child abuse. By now, you probably. 
hold this fell down. So I literally have not had the physical or emotional capacity to address anyone, nor do I need to address anyone. But here we are. Three years ago, Ruby, everything was great. It seemed to be fine anyway. We were a typical family. She was getting some therapy counseling because their family needed it, which I think is great. However, I think you need to get it from a great source. Read the reviews. Jody Hildebrandt and her website or therapy style, I don't know what you want to call it, Connections, was not a great resource. And we all saw it. We all felt weird about this Jody lady. We didn't, we weren't comfortable with it. We didn't like it. We didn't like the teachings Ruby was bringing to the family functions. And we were this close to telling her, if you come to our family events anymore, we do not want to hear what you were learning through connections because we don't like it. We never did say that to her, but we thought it. Um, anyway, so three years ago, Ruby and I hung out do, bottling tomatoes. And then a few weeks later, crap hit the fan and she left the family and she didn't even call me to say hey you know Julie you're doing this and this I don't like it you're living your life in distortion so I'm gonna have to take some time away from you no literally nothing she did call my mom and yelled at my mom on the phone for 45 minutes and accused her of things that were not true it was almost as if Ruby had been making up memories from her childhood she was trying to grab at anything she could and she would exaggerate on everything. So she started all of her lies back then, lying to everyone in her life, getting rid of all of her friends and family, and I literally had no contact with her. She wouldn't respond to any texts or emails over the um, time that I tried reaching out to her, never got a response from her. So. I was very fortunate to have been able to reach out to her daughter Sherry once she was an adult and we were able to form a really close, strong relationship which I am grateful for and it was then that I learned more about Ruby and it was then that Sherry had learned about lies that had been told to her. I feel like me and my other sisters have said, we feel like we've just been kind of floating on a cloud here these past few weeks. It, we are in complete shock still as to what she had done because we had no idea of what was happening. Basically, I'm here to, to say that I had no idea what was happening. Like Bonnie mentioned in her video, we are not going to let Ruby destroy another thing in our lives. We have our platforms where we try and bring brightness and positivity into other people's lives. And that is why we didn't talk about Ruby in our content for the past three years. Yeah, we try and show the highs and lows of everyday family and parenting, but Ruby's topic was not supposed to be part of that content. And it was none of your business. It was nothing that we needed to talk about. And I wasn't sure if her kids were maybe still watching these videos and I didn't want to be not tactful and slander their mom and then have them watch those videos. That didn't sound like a nice thing to do either. And so, that is another reason why we didn't talk about the subject of Ruby for the past few years on my channel. However, as far as my platforms go, I do want to continue them, but the content will probably look a little bit different. I have some pre-recorded videos before all of this fell apart that I will be posting, and then after those videos, I will probably just shift my content a little bit and it'll be a little different, but I will still be here posting probably once a week instead of twice a week like I had been. Um, and I hope you guys stick around. Those followers who have been following me for years saw past all of this. You are here to support and love no matter what. The people who came here to my comment section with negativity and attack were probably people that didn't even know who we were. And so I know not to take offense to all of that, even though it was still really hard to see and hear all of the negativity. So I guess her sister also has this channel. I didn't know anything about this. The Drew Crew Vlogs. This is a thing, I guess. Um, I mean, I, it's not that I didn't know that people weren't doing these kinds of things. I just didn't realize how popular uh, they were. You could just, like, video your family. And um, this lady has 226,000 subscribers, and people have been attacking her because she, of her familial af affiliation with uh, her sister Ruby charged with these counts of child abuse what would you do um, if you suspected that your family member was abusing children how would you know and in in this case you have ruby and if you unless you're like watching the vlogs religiously 
and obviously some people were. She's got a couple million subscribers, or she had, but somebody was watching them religiously. But are the family members necessarily going to be all that invested in their what their sister is doing, especially if they have these falling out, this uh, this breach with the family where you know this um, shifting of philosophies and. They, they described her as weird. She, we knew she was a little weird, and she was kind of making up stuff, and she had this fallout with my mom and um, attacking us. You know, that's, that's their family issues, and, you know, she's off and doing her own thing. I, I, would, I would guess um, if you don't have any contact with family members and you see them doing well on YouTube, you would assume that they're doing well in life. You would not make the assumption that they are abusing their children. I mean, where did that come from? Um, what the sister said in that article um, is 100% true. Where was the husband in all of this? Um, I can't imagine many scenarios where I wouldn't notice that my children are starving and emaciated. Matter of fact, they're pretty vocal about um, explaining when uh, they want to eat, when they don't want to eat, you know, what they, you know, that kind of thing. But I don't understand where the husband why he hasn't been charged, what is his culpability in all of this, um, what did he know, what didn't he know, where was he staying? If he was living in the same house as those children, how is it possible that he couldn't have known that something was amiss? The fact that he has an attorney leads me to believe that they're thinking or they have thought about bringing charges against him. Of course, he's living there at the house. Um, I wonder why they haven't. I've seen people brought up in charges for much less for child abuse and neglect. And so we'll see where that ends up landing. But I have so many questions um, and not enough time to get to all of them. Um, but for what it's worth, this has been episode 48 of the Tilted Lawyer podcast. It has been a pleasure to speak with you about the Sarah Boone catching up with, <laughs> with that lady and everything that's going on with this case and this other case, this new YouTube case that we're going to be following uh, regarding uh, Ruby Frankie and her sisters. Oh, there's so much to unpack with this one. We don't have nearly enough time to get to it all today. Uh, I just wanted to have some, um, you know, just following the line of cases that we've been going through. I mean, crimes against children. We talked about all kinds of crazy stuff last, last week. Um, we could, I could have talked about this one last week, but you know, it was not a next step on the list of things of topics that I had planned for the show. Um, but yeah, this, uh, this YouTube case, um, I suspect is going to get a lot darker before it gets brighter and we're just going to have to wait and see, but that's all I really have for you guys today, this week. Um, everybody, thank you for so much for listening for a, it's Friday. It's the weekend. Go out and make some memories with your family. Keep your family safe. Make sure you lock your doors and uh, we will see you all next week. Bye-bye. Thank you all for listening to the entire podcast. We really do appreciate that. And as always, you can find us on YouTube on the Tilted Lawyer Podcast YouTube channel or on your podcast carrier of choice. If you feel we've presented anything of value, please leave a five-star rating, like, and subscribe. We always appreciate that kind of thing. And we do look forward to seeing you all again live every Thursday at 3 in the afternoon. We love you all. Take care. Bye-bye. <laughs>